Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. But uh, today we are continuing our message series that we started last week called Creed, which is uh, really uh, a message series that's all about what we believe um, as Christians. What do we believe and why does it matter? That's the question we're asking and attempting to go through um, many of the major foundational tenets of what it means to be a Christian. Um, and, you know, we're, we're not straying too far from, uh, from what I would consider standard, traditional, um, over 2,000 years worth of Christianity. Um, I recognize that there are nuances in, uh, in our faith, you know, across denominations and even um, differences between Orthodox and, and then even, and then from Orthodox to maybe Catholic or even into Protestant, but even, even between Eastern Orthodox and Western Orthodox and uh, Asian and all of these, there are different, different nuances, but there are things that we can agree upon as believers in Jesus Christ that have been vetted over thousands of years of study and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so what we're uh, attempting to do over these couple of months in this message series, Creed, is really asking the question, what do we believe and why does it matter? Attempting to apply some practical elements to what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what does it mean for us. And I think that if we um, some of you might be saying, why does it matter that I understand theology? You're like, Jared, your job as a pastor is to understand theology. And it's true. I went to school for ministry and I have taken systematic theology courses and I read books on theology and on Christian living and, and these kinds of things. And while certainly it's important for me to be able to teach it, I think it's important for us to know what we believe because one, it gives us a much greater understanding of who God is and how we relate to him, but it also protects us from falling into the trap of believing things that aren't true or, um, uh, or being led away, led astray by, by popular thoughts and theories that really are unfounded. And so I think it's really important. And there are uh, practical elements to what we're talking about today as well. So um, again, just a reminder of what the word creed means uh, from the Webster, Merriam-Webster's Dictionary. It is a brief authoritative formula of religious belief or a set of fundamental beliefs, and it's a guiding principle. And a lot of what we're going to be talking about over the next couple of months is really based out of the Nicene Creeds and the Apostles' Creed. The song that we just sang is a representation of those creeds, the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed put into song form. Um, they're unifying statements that share what we believe to be true about God and what it means to follow him. And so we're asking the question again, what, is it, what do we believe and why does it matter? Um, topics like the Bible or eternity, salvation, the church, um, and we'll break some of those down into pieces. Uh, last week, right, we started with the Bible. And we titled it that God wrote a book. And the statement from, of our belief of the Bible is that the Bible is God's word to all people. It was written by human authors under the supernatural guidance of the Holy Spirit. And because it was inspired by God, the Bible is truth without any mixture of error, and it's completely relevant to our daily lives. And what we said was, is that God wrote a book so that we could know who he is, know what he's like, and what he thinks about us, and how we relate to him. 
the Bible is the foundation of everything that we believe as Christians. And so we had to start there. But today we're going to go even into a more complex um, topic called the Trinity. How many of you have heard of the word Trinity before? How many of you have studied the theological concept of the Trinity before? Ah, a couple of you. Okay. So I want to read the statement here from our uh, church website, which again, it's not just you know, like I just made it up. This is like universally uh, or generally understood and agreed upon in a traditional Christian um, uh, religion here. It says this, three in one is what the title of today's message is, God three in one. God has existed in relationship with himself for all eternity. He exists as one substance in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And although each member of the Trinity serves different functions, they possess equal power and authority. All right, try and swallow that one down. Today's attempt is going to be to uh, take something that's normally put into probably a couple of weeks worth of theology courses or classes and turn it into a 30 to 35 minute sermon. Um, and so up front, I just want to say to you that this message was hard for me to write because it's a deep concept. It's one that I believe that God can wants to speak to us, and I think it's valuable and important. But please understand that it is, one, difficult to be able to boil a topic this deep down into a Sunday morning you know, topic, right? So we're going to have this and have some discussion time, and I hope we'll have some lively discussion. But also know that every time I teach or preach a message on a Sunday morning, the goal is never that this is the end. It is really that it's supposed to be the beginning of further conversation. So just be aware of that. Let's continue this conversation in other places. Uh, today's topic is the, the Trinity. And, and I'll just be honest, for me, um, for most of my life, uh, the concept of the Trinity has always been pretty vague. Um, maybe there are others in the room who don't feel like that's the case, and that's all right. But for me, um, typically, I would say it's a topic that comes up in theological Discussions, but probably not very often in common talk. Um, I don't know how many of you are sitting around, the, you know, you know, the coffee table or you know, dining room table, just chatting it up about the Trinity. Um, many people have probably heard of the Trinity, but really couldn't describe it. Um, if anything, I would say that the limits of understanding for many Christians uh, is based on what they say at the end of a prayer. And when they cross themselves, right? Like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, or even if you're maybe really smart, you do it in the Latin firm, or if you're playing a certain card game, if you know what I mean. Um, but most of people would probably be more comfortable describing the character Trinity from the Matrix movies than they would be able to discuss the theological concept of the Trinity. But like everything in our faith, um, there is a line in which our human understanding cannot cross and that we must step beyond it with belief. And the Trinity is one of those such concepts. It does not, however, mean that we cannot or should not study it, discuss it, wrestle with these mind-bending concepts. And yes, the Trinity, I think anyway, is one of such mind-bending concepts. The Trinity, while it is paradoxical, Okay, while it is paradoxical, it is also a foundational tenet of the Christian faith and one that we must attempt to comprehend, even if we feel like sometimes we're just going in circles. Okay, so what do we believe about the Trinity 
and why does it matter? That is the question we will attempt to answer today. So the first section of our statement of faith says this, that God has existed in relationship with himself for all eternity. God has existed in relationship with himself for all eternity. What does that mean? Well, we know that God exists outside of the outside of time and space, um, that he has no beginning and he has no end. In fact, the Bible calls him the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And yet we also know that he created all things. Genesis 1, right, says in the beginning that God created all things. There are passages of scripture all over that talks about the eternal nature of God. In John chapter 1, Verses one through three, we see not only God, but also in relationship with himself with the son, right? It says, in the beginning was the word. You're like, oh, that's great. That's fine. And the word was with God. But then beyond that, it says, in the word was God. So already we're beginning to see in the beginning, eternity, right? The concept that God has existed in relationship with himself for all eternity. Whatever that is, we'll get into later. Whatever the dynamic is of God and the forms or whatever we're going to describe it as it will talk about, he has been in existence as that for all time, right? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. The word was God. He was with God in the beginning and all things were created through him. So like he's divine, all of it. And then there are other passages referring to the divine relationship across eternity. Look at Hebrews chapter one, <clears throat> excuse me, verses eight through 10. In this verse, they're talking about, it's God sort of referring to another aspect of himself as God. Hebrews chapter one, verses eight through 10. But to the son, your throne, God, is forever and ever. And the scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. You have loved righteousness and you've hated lawlessness. This is God talking to God. This is why God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy beyond your companions. And then for the sake of eternity and in the beginning, Lord, you established the earth and the heavens are the works of your hands. Again, I'm just showing you this concept that, that the idea of that, that God has existed in relationship with himself, we don't really understand that yet because we haven't gotten to that part, but it has been something that has existed for all time across eternity. And so what we see in these passages of scripture is that eternity is at play, but also a relationship is at work. Look what happens in Mark chapter one, verses nine through 11. And I would encourage you guys, because this is a lot of rapid fire to write these verses down, maybe go back and study them at later times throughout the week. You know, I'm happy to have further conversations with you or on Facebook or just kind of keep these conversations going through text or whatever. Um, but just, you know, a lot of scriptures are things we probably have to go back and kind of dig into at other times. But Mark chapter one, verses nine through 11, we're going to see again, the affirming relationship um, of within itself. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and he was baptized in the Jordan by John. And look at all three of them present in this passage. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descended on him, Jesus, like a dove. And a voice from heaven came from heaven. You are my beloved son with who I am well pleased. We see this affirming relationship working together, unified in purpose and mission. God has existed in relationship with himself for all eternity. Why does this matter? It matters because we worship a God who is complex and nuanced. He cannot be solved and he cannot be put into a box. And it brings a divine perspective 
seeing the perspective of who God is, that he has existed for as long as he is, that, that the nuance and the complexity of him understands that it brings sovereignty with him. It brings authority with him. He provides protection and provision. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient, which means he's all powerful. He's all knowing. He's everywhere. He can be relied upon. When we see it from that perspective, that he is, he is complex and nuanced, cannot be solved or put into a box, it removes pressure from us and it encourages trust when we recognize that God has existed in relationship with himself across all eternity. It removes the pressure and encourages trust because we don't have to play that part. God has existed in relationship with himself for all eternity. But then it continues. So where it gets a little bit thicker. He exists as one substance in three persons the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to kind of tackle these two pieces sort of a little bit separately. One substance underlined in three persons. So one substance, which means like one essence. And there's this word that we're going to be, two words in Greek that we're going to be uh, checking out here. The first word um, that we're going to be looking at today um, in, in that means essence is homoousios. Homoousios, which means the same substance, the same essence, okay? So, so when we think about the Holy Spirit, when we think of the Trinity and God being existing in one substance in three persons, two different words we're using. Homoousios is the word for like substance, essence, right? So the same essence across the whole thing divided in three persons. We'll get back to that. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. This is what's called the Shema. It's a, a prayer of uh, a foundational prayer of Jewish people as well as for Christians. It's kind of the foundation of what it means to worship God. And this is God telling his people in Deuteronomy 6 4 Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is one. The Shema, right? The foundational defining prayer. And then it goes on to say, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and your, with all your strength, right? With your very existence. The thing about the word here, the concept of what's happening in this verse particularly, is not so much talking about the unified nature of the Trinity, but it's talking about the essence, the authority and rule of God. It is absolute. He is the one and only. He is above all. He is supreme. So the concept of what God is saying here, when he's saying is, listen, O Israel, the Lord is one. He's saying, I'm not like your other gods. He's talking about being absolute the biggest, the strongest, the one and only. He's precluding polytheism. So he's saying right off the bat, I'm not multiple gods, but he's also talking about, there's another term called syncretism. He says, I am not like other gods. I'm not like Baal. I'm not like uh, Shamash. I'm not like anything that you can imagine. So when he says, listen, Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. In other words, I am the one, the only. Like in every rap song where they're like, I'm number one. This is Jesus. This is God saying that like nobody else is me. That's what he's saying, okay? So the substance, the homoousius is the, the substance that's across all of him. One substance in three persons. Now, the other side of it is one in three. And this is where it gets harder for us to understand because like, it doesn't make sense to me. How can you have three, but still be one, right? It says one substance in three persons, which we know as the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit, the same essence, but different persons. And this is where the second Greek term comes into play. So the first term is homoousius, which means one substance. 
the same undivided substance, whereas the word for person is hypostasis. Hypostasis, H-Y-P-O-S-T-A-S-I-S. Stasis being form, right? The concept of it. So this is what happens here. Look at Hebrews chapter one, verses one through three. Hebrews chapter one, verses one through three. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times in different ways. And in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature. The exact expression of his nature. The word there for nature is hypostasis or hypostasis, hypostasis, right? Of the father, the person, and yet distinct. Essence, the same homoousius, same substance reflected in a person. It's reflected in a person. This passage teaches that the person of the father is different than the person of the son. It's very clear. They're talking about different people in this passage. And we see that in those other passages that we read, right? But they are unified in one essence. And how do we know that? Because the Bible tells us that God is one, that he is one unified God, one true God. There is no other. So we know that he is one essence and yet different substances, different persons, one essence, different substances, different persons, but are unified in one substance essence as God, existing in eternal relationship with each other, working as one, revealing various aspects of one nature. And we see this on display all throughout the New Testament, particularly. I just want to highlight a couple. We see the angel of God announcing the coming of the Messiah in Luke chapter 135, right? The angel says, the Holy Spirit person will come upon you and the power of the most high father will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One, Jesus, will be born and be called the Son of God, right? Three, three different people. Jesus talking. This is himself now speaking as a member of the Trinity and the existence of the other two in John chapter 14, verse 16. He says, and I, Jesus, will ask thee who? Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Three persons. And then in Matthew 28, 19, the famous passage of the Great Commission, right? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in who? The name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see these three different people, hypostasis, persons, right? The apostles then affirmed this in uh, the God of the Trinity, through the Trinity in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And then later Peter did it as well as, as John did as well. Second Corinthians 13, 13, the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So what we're seeing in these passages here is one substance, one essence, one God in three persons, each one identified as God. How is this possible? Let, like mind bending to try to wrap our minds around it. And I don't think that there is a foolproof illustration or way to do it, but I tried to search and find some uh, possibly helpful illustrations that might help us kind of wrap our mind around what we're trying to talk about. They are limited, okay? But maybe helpful illustrations. Think of an egg. Three parts of one egg, the shell, the white, and the yolk. Or maybe the sun, think about the sun, three parts to the sun. We have heat rays, light rays, and chemical rays. 
Heat rays are felt but not seen. Light rays are seen but not felt. Chemical rays have an effect, though they are not seen or felt. And altogether, they give us sunshine. Three rays, one light. Also with water, in thermodynamics, uh, the triple point of a substance is the temperature and pressure at which three phases, gas, liquid, and solid, of that substance, they coexist in thermodynamic equilibrium. Water under pressure in a vacuum at a given temperature below freezing simultaneously exists as liquid, steam, and ice. Again, the concept of three in one substance. I recognize that this, you know, we could pull those apart. I get that. But the concept that we're saying here is that God is made up of as one true, one God, one true substance reflected in three separate persons. And this is the paradox of the Trinity. And yet it matters. Why? Because God is completely unique, unlike any other, and entirely worthy of worship. And it also gives us different ways to experience, engage, and understand God's nature, God's character, and his revelation. When we consider God the Father, we see him from a different perspective. We can experience him in a different way and understand different aspects of him. When we understand God the Son, we understand and see a reflection of his nature in different ways. When we experience God the Holy Spirit, we can experience his revelation and his character in different unique ways. All God, but experiencing him in different ways, engaging in different ways, entirely worthy of worship. God has existed in relationship with himself for all eternity. He exists as one substance in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And to finish, although each member of the Trinity serves different functions, they each possess equal power and authority. Now, this is where our helpful illustrations are limited and they cannot fully explain God's Trinitarian nature. Each of those illustrations breaks down because I would not consider an eggshell to be fully God, right? You would not consider that to be the case. This is where the limits of our understanding are stretched and the threads of faith begin to call us into supernatural trust and revelation. I want to look at a few different scriptures here and, and explore what it looks like to see that the different persons of the Trinity are fully divine. John chapter 5, verses 21 to 23. This is Jesus talking. And just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, a divine attribute, so the Son also gives life to whom he wants. The Father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, divine authority, so that all people may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. We see the divine relationship of divinity in both. Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Okay, so now we saw in John... We saw the divinity and the, the authority, the supreme uh, power and authority of the Father and the Son. Now the Apostle Paul talks in Romans chapter 8, verse 9. You know, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, 
The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. So we see here in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each one serving different functions and revealing different aspects of God's unified nature with each person of the Trinity identified as God. The Bible insists there is only one true God, and therefore each, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, possess equal power and authority as that one true God. Each one sharing the same substance, the homoousios, H-O-M-O, O-U-S-I-O-S, in case anybody wants to write that down. Each one sharing the same substance, homoousios, as distinct persons, hypostasis. This matters. Why? Because it teaches us to respond in different ways to God. Each one with, with divinity, with divine authority in their life, in our life. John chapter 13 to 17, we're not going to read that, but I want you to go back and see in John chapter 13, Jesus talks about the relationship between him and the father. It talks about his authority. And then it also talks about the Holy Spirit. And through it, you can see what each role provides. And in our lives as Christians, how it makes a difference, but also it teaches us to respond to each of them. It teaches us to respond to the Father's love, the love that he has for his people. God so loved the world, right? It talks about God's provision, his Father, the Father's protection. And we're going to be talking about the Father in greater detail. But, but the Trinity helps us understand the unique aspects of God and yet teaches us to give each one the authority as God in our life. When we hear from the Holy Spirit speaking to us, it is God speaking. When we see what Jesus spoke, it is God speaking. When the Father provides, it is God providing. It teaches us to, to respond to the Father's love. But it also teaches us to respond to the Son's mediation. This is what we see. That Jesus' primary role in the gospel is to provide the way back for us, right? We sang that song today, the love of God keeps us from separation, right? We know the story in scripture of, of, of human beings being separated from God because of sin. But we also know that Jesus came, that God sent his son, the person of Jesus, into a body, right? The incarnate, did he become flesh to give his life on the cross, to sacrifice himself and be raised by the spirit, which we'll get to in a second, which is what provides the bridge back to God, the mediation. So when we worship Jesus, we worship primarily out of a space of thanking him for his mediation. That's why we partake in communion, right? We proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. That's the concept. We thank God as the father for our provider, for his truth and for his love, but we worship Jesus for his mediation, for his sacrifice, for his brokenness and his forgiveness and grace and mercy. And that's why he judges, not the father, because God has placed Jesus at the, the space and where he looks at us now through the eyes of Jesus. But it also teaches us to respond to the promises of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what, is what reminds us of the goodness of God. It reminds us of the things that are to come. It continually transforms us. 
And so the concept of the Trinity, one substance in, in multiple persons, causes us to respond to God in different ways. But also, I want to say this before we close up today. It also protects us from, from, uh, from heresy. Uh, the reason that this is important, one of the main reasons why it's important for us to understand specifically what we believe is because there, have pe- there will be people who try, to, who try to manipulate or to change the, what the meaning of the word of God says for their own reasons. And there were a number of times throughout uh, throughout our history as Christians that there have risen different, um, different theological understandings or concepts that have been marked as heresy over the years by religious scholars. A couple of them are this. Number one, understanding what we believe, God in one substance in three persons, protects us against what's considered Arianism. Any of you ever heard of the word Arianism? Maybe a couple. Okay. It says that Jesus is not the same substance as the Father. In other words, he's not God. Um, This would be an equivalent of a modern-day Jehovah's Witness, okay? Jehovah's Witnesses believe in Jesus, but they don't believe he was divine. Obviously, you can imagine if you don't believe Jesus is divine, it changes the gospel in in ways that are... that is not standard throughout the last 2000 years. Understanding the divinity of Jesus as a member of the Trinity protects us against the heresy of Arianism. Another is Sabellianism, Sabellian, S-A-B-E-L-L-I-A-N, Sabellian. It admits the deity of Jesus, but it denies the distinct personhood. Um, A modern example of that would be the United Pentecostal Church and other Jesus-only groups. They believe that that Jesus was divine, but that he's the only, that there is no God the Father, there is no Holy Spirit, that everything is reflective of just Jesus, that he can only be in one place at a time, um, that, you know, when Jesus lives in you, but then he's not up there, or that he's, uh, it's, it's a little more complex, but it's, 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 it's important for us to understand what we believe and why we believe it so that we can respond to God effectively. We can have conversations with people. Um, If you have ever felt like you're talking to your friends and they seem to know a lot more about religion than you do, because you're like, I don't know how to answer them when they ask a question about, you know, about why do I believe this part of my faith when it seems to contradict something else? This is one of the reasons it's important for us to understand theology so that we can know what we believe and why, so that when we stand against or stand with people who come up and say, I don't believe that, you don't have to tell them that they're wrong necessarily but you will be swept away if you don't understand what you believe and why you believe it. That's part of the reason I wanted to teach this message series. This is not just Pastor Jared saying what he thinks. What I'm teaching you is 2,000 years worth of Christian tradition, Orthodox Christian teaching about what we believe, or maybe 15 to 1,700 years because these creeds were kind of created around 300 AD and, and a little bit later. All right, so to wrap it all together today, God has existed in relationship with himself for all eternity. He exists as one substance in three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And although each member of the Trinity serves different functions, they each possess equal power and authority. God, three in one, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one essence, three persons. Would you close your eyes and pray with me? God, we just take time to um, just revere who you are. 
I thank you for your word. I thank you for the complexity of it. I thank you for giving us brains to be able to even understand, you know, the complex nature of who you are in some finite manner. I thank you that we're not robots. And I thank you that you've given us choice and critical thinking skills and desire to understand and learn and know. And while I know we have much to talk about, um, at the same time, I just ask that you would reveal yourself to us, each of us, in a way that only you can do. I recognize my limits in my words. I recognize that without your spirit, like we said last week, the living and active aspect of your word, without that, they're just words on a page, without a heart that is willing to receive it, nothing, there's nothing that can be said or explained that will uh, help help these concepts to unlock and to really take root in our in our hearts. So we ask, I ask that first and foremost, you would speak, that the words that were spoken today by me, the things on the page that I wrote, that those would just be a vehicle for you and your spirit ultimately to uh, to speak to each of us, to come to a place of conviction about this concept. I thank you for your word. I give you glory and honor for it. I thank you for this group. Um, and I just pray that you would be honored in our conversation moving forward in Jesus's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.